Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... G'day, I'm uh, Peter Davison. I'm, I guess I'm most well known to be, for being the first uh, non-family and friends investor in PayPal uh, back in the day. We were pretty instrumental in getting them off the ground and giving them a business model. Uh, since then, uh, I've, I've floated around the world helping different startups and institutions. Uh, I started a, a Chinese venture capital firm in Shanghai. Uh, I started Fishburners back in the day, funded that, and and. Uh, and just a bunch of other things that I've been been doing, a lot of education and a lot of just sort of advice to different governments and so on. Why entrepreneurship? Why investing? Where did that come from? Mate, uh, to be honest, I was I was a very high achiever at university, and then uh, then I went to, but not not a very good student, by the way. I just I just uh, I, I, I winged it, but um, I. I, when I went to the Australian workforce, it was an absolute disaster. I just couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with the culture, the values, the the lack of, well, I, my perception that it was very not innovative. It was very sort of corporate and political and it was absolute hell for me. So I basically, yeah, I was very ambitious. Um, I was a technologist and uh, a mate of mine at university, we just we we sort of made a pact to each other that, you know, one day we'd get together and do something big, you know, as young dudes do. And and so honestly, the internet came along. He he'd made a lot of money in banking and um he was completely sick of it as well. And uh 
uh, he said, hey, man, why don't we do a VC firm? I'll fund you to, to go fly around uh, Silicon Valley and, uh, and and find some deals for us. And I got the money, just just go and make us lots of money. And I'd never been to Valley before. I'd never I'd never been involved in a startup before. I, I did know technology. Um, I'd never been, you know, I, I'd never been in that whole scene at all. Um, I'd never even been to – I think I've been to California once, but not Silicon Valley. So it was really just um, – an act of desperation, to be honest, uh, just just the young guy's act of desperation. I did know the internet very, very well, and that was unusual. I think that was a bit of a secret because I'd worked at Melbourne University, and that was the hub of it. What, what year are we talking that you went, you know, flying around? 98, 99, yeah. Right. And when you say you, you knew the internet well, what, what do you mean by that? See, I was at University of Melbourne, which was the hub of the you know, which the hub of the whole internet network, and it was also the domain registry monopoly. Um, so I was I was running a team there in, in intelligent decision systems, which had nothing to do with the internet. But but the, the the World Wide Web started out. We were the first to get decent sort of decent access and uh, good internet, and so we were all messing around with that, and uh, and it really got me interested in that. So so I I plumbed the depths of the internet looking for businesses and and founders and, and how this all worked. So, but, I mean, the, the reason why a guy like me with no background, no sort of pedigree in this area could succeed was because of the internet. You could poke around the corners of the internet looking for good companies, looking for good people. You didn't have to be a part of the networks. So I really leveraged that a lot. Were there any early, like 98, you know, in Australia, were there any early whisperings or, or, or precursors to, you know, the startup tech ecosystem? That we have today? Um, not from my point of view. You know, I, let's see, I was in Sydney, but I hadn't heard about it. There were probably some sort of rich, sort of wealthy circles talking talking about it, but it wasn't very, you know, it certainly wasn't, didn't pervade corporate and I hadn't heard about it. I, I guess I didn't have many mates in this area. I had technologist mates, but they were all working jobs. So, so you fly over to the US, start scouting. What, what was the VC firm's name that you, you and your mates started? Uh, Girdle Capital. Girdle a, is an Austrian mathematician. It's not a piece of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How many conversations would you say you you had or, or opportunities to explore before you sat down with Peter Thiel from, of PayPal? So I was I actually flew over, flew over there with the MP3 stuff because the MP3 was very accessible and I could see it was going to be you know, a bit of a revolution in the music industry, and and um, and I really studied that hard. So I went and met uh, the guy who said who started the sort of most popular MP3 player called Winamp, and he was in Sedona, Arizona, which is this beautiful place that's nowhere near Silicon Valley. And I I got to meet him, and I got to meet a guy called Rob Lord, who who actually was a bit of an internet pioneer, and I I really learned a lot about. Silicon Valley, you know, I mean, this is this is another part of the secret is that I let I talked to all these people and I really got up the curve of, you know, the right jargon, how the Internet works, how things are being monetized, what's getting funded and so on. Um, so so I really that deal actually fell through, which was sad uh, because they eventually sold for 80 million dollars. But we you know, and we, they wanted to offer the whole company to us for 50 grand. So um but the good thing was that everything I was looking at was turning to gold. So I was onto something. I was picking up on something. I'd met Music Match, which which sold for two hundred million dollars. I'd met MP3.com. It offered 
offered us an investment for $10 million and they they were eventually sold for $300 million, but at one stage we were a billion dollars. So everything was turning to gold, but we didn't capitalise on that. We were a little bit too nervous that, that this pirate scene could suddenly be this massive music you know, takeover. Yeah, not 98, so 98, 99, 2000 in the US. What, what struck you most about the ecosystem over there kind of coming to it from Australia? Oh, mate, you know, chalk and cheese. You know, when I talked about business in Australia, a guy like me, people were like, ah, oh, you know, you know, sit, settle down, wait your turn, and who do you think you are, that sort of thing. I walked around Silicon Valley pretending I was a venture capitalist. I mean, I, I was a venture capitalist, but I felt like I was pretending. And, um, and, and people just embraced it. I was young. I was ambitious. It seemed that I had money, and my friend did. You know, I had a briefcase, and and it it, it just had an air of like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to laugh at you because you might be the next big thing. And it was very, very young, vibrant, and I really – it was the best experience of my life. I really felt, yes, there is another place to be, and it doesn't have to be like where you are right now. Um, and there's a place that embraces embrace, your crazy dreams and – and where young people are kind of heralded. It was fantastic, man. I know I know it sounds a bit romanticized and it probably is in my mind, but at that stage I just was getting doors open. There was there was no question of who I was and you know, wait my turn or whatever. It was it was embraced and I could get intros to some really cool people. It's fantastic. When did you move back to Australia? Or or was it or was it just like business trips over to the US to scout? No, I, I, I stayed there for a couple couple of years. You know, we were so by the seat of our pants that um, we hadn't sorted out our visa. So I actually had visa problems at one point and uh, and got excluded from the country, which is hilarious because we were, you know, PayPal investors at this time and we were, you know, big shots, but we were becoming the potential to be big shots. But but I, the guy, this one guy said he didn't like my visa, so he excluded me from the country and then the then the crash happened, so I came back in 2001, I think it was. So, so I was there for a few years. It was all a big kind of blur of, of activity. But, um, you know, frankly, then, man, honestly, I could have gone back. Peter Thiel was putting out fearless for me to work with him I because my partner told me he was. Uh, because, you know, guys like me were sort of rare. That were guys who were technologists who were in VC. That was my, that was my um, sort of shtick. Right now, you know, later on, it became I became a dime a dozen. But at that point, I was pretty valuable because I kind of really knew how it worked. But I, I didn't take any of that, man. I just stayed back in Australia. It was all – it took such a mental kind of effort to exist in that world and, and fight my background. It was, it was, you know, mostly psychological reason why I didn't pursue it. Being in Silicon Valley, that, that romantic view of it that you have, have – and and just loving it so much. What was your thinking moving back to you know moving back to Australia in the early early two thousands? What what was the plan? Oh, see, man. Even then, I mean, things were happening. You know, you had you did have a few startups. I mean, I met a guy. You know, a guy that I know. He was at Macquarie Bank, and uh, he met me in Silicon Valley, and he was sort of introducing to me a few companies. And I just, yeah, I just felt this is not the same. This is like, don't get me wrong. The, the founders are fantastic. There are, you know, people who can survive in an, in this environment. I suggest a better, you know, what I would consider better entrepreneurs than people who could, you know, get a check for twenty million bucks. You know, it's it's 
these guys had to fight to survive. So I really respected the founders, but not the ecosystem. It was you really had to be someone super special to to make yourself stand out. You know, you had to fight a lot of things to 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 stand out. So the ecosystem, no, it wasn't the same. I was thinking, well, what's the point? I mean, I'll what's the point of being an investor here? It's not thrivey. I've got to wait for these occasional ones to pop up. I was a bit blown away by the Silicon Valley world. It really just sort of said to me, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. It really taught me that the best, often the best security of eels is to move geographies. So, yeah, it wasn't changed, man. It wasn't changed at all. There was starting to be a few things. I poked my head up a bit in about 2001, 2002, you know, there were there was the Jody Riches and, and guys like that. It wasn't an accessible scene by any means at that point. You had circles of wealth investing. That's that was kind of about it at that stage. Have you ever found anything close to reliving that experience in Silicon Valley? Um, I mean, China is is, is exciting because there's so much money there. So yeah, in pockets there, it's it's quite an exciting place. You know, the future is is possible, and people are getting crazy. People are getting funded. I liked the Berlin scene when I was there. I was at a pretty good time. So, you know, we're starting to get quite exciting. And, and Berlin had sort of created itself. You see, Munich wanted to be the, the capital of Germany, startup capital of Germany, and it was. And yet these two guys, the Rocket Internet guys, chose Berlin, uh, which was, uh, you know, this artsy kind of rundown city, and they turned it into the German startup capital. It was a fantastic historic place as well, and I sort of love that stuff, but but it really had a vibe about it as well. So that's about as close as I've come where the, you really feel the possible all around you. So, yeah, but nothing quite like Silicon Valley. And before we hit record, you mentioned it would be good to figure out, you know, what Australia is missing, the characteristics that you see, like drawing on that experience from Germany, from Silicon Valley, from China, what do those ecosystems have that maybe Australia can learn from? Yeah, um, well, mate, this is, this is sort of a system-wide issue rather than a, than picking on any particular group of people. I mean, we are a rich country, and but we've got rich off the back of you know natural resources and continue to do that. And so the sort of capital that's created here is more it has a different flavour to it. It doesn't have a sort of a speculative anything's possible type of flavour. And and what you do notice in these other ecosystems is that, okay, you've got some big successes, but the flywheel starts. People talk about the flywheel. I don't see the flywheel in Australia. What the flywheel means is reinvestment in the local scene, uh, tech management from that company that was present within the ecosystem has has started their own companies and started investing their own companies. I mean, if you look at Silicon Valley, um, 60% 60% and up of the of the unicorn founders are, are repeat successful entrepreneurs who've had at least a sort of a $50, 100000000 million exit previously, right? So, yeah, it's it's a different it's a different story. So, yes, you've got these successes, but here's what you've got to ask, right? When you talk about an ecosystem, you're talking about a piece of dirt called Sydney. I mean, I'm not rubbishing Sydney. I'm saying you're talking about geography. You talk right. You're talking about keeping people local, right? You've got to ask yourself, what is it about the local ecosystem that keeps people here? Now, in, in Silicon Valley, it was it was semiconductors in the early days. In Israel, when it started, why did people stay, stay in Israel? Well, there was religious reasons. 
um, you know, it was the homeland. But but there was also there's this very strong specialization in cybersecurity, which came from the fact that every that, that young men had to do service and a lot of them chose to go to technical colleges and were coming out very skilled in cybersecurity. That's what kept them there. They couldn't, even if they became successful, they wouldn't move to the valley because there was too much of a concentration of cybersecurity skills there. So, so you've got to ask yourself, what, why are people going to stick here? Where, how do you, how do you solve that problem? Uh, when, when the resources, when, the, when you've got to ask yourself, why are tech people here more likely to join startups and take risks and so on? Unless you've got something that keeps them here. Now we do have things that keep them here, you know, but they're they're not that sexy. I mean, they're 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 the natural resources, the health tech, that is energy. You know, they, these are things that we're very we're actually very good at in in technological spheres, but it's not sort of mainstream kind of kind of uh, innovation. I think we we you know if if we were to talk about what policy should be at a top level. We should be encouraging the ones that are going to stick. And if the others start by themselves, great. But you've got to ask yourself, why would a why would an Atlassian or a Canva uh, middle top management person uh, decide to restart a company that they feel is going to be, you know, uh, sort of adjacent adjunct to the Canva's success in Sydney? Uh, you know, how quickly are they going to leave? So, you know, I, while I see these successes, what I think which, what you ha- see is happening here is you don't have much thick soil. You've, you've got a desert here, and whenever it rains, you do get a bunch of beautiful flowers. And I think we're seeing a lot of really beautiful flowers, but they're not necessarily going to die and become, you know, they're not necessarily going to complete their, eco- their, their life cycle and become the soil of the next ones. So uh, you've got to ask if you look through the list of all the top companies out there and you say, what's in common with them in terms of human capital? They have they struggle to get tech management. You only need to talk to Matt Barry about that and to Mike Cannonbrooks. I've heard them both say about how they can't get Silicon Valley management over here. So, so you've got to ask, why are people going to stay here? And I think you've got to focus on your strengths. Um, I would say one thing. Like I do think, if you look at the publicly listed companies in the tech sphere in, you know, in Australia, you do see a lot of fintech. Now, some of it's very localized type fintech, like superannuation and stuff. But, but, but I think, uh, you know, the other thing about fintech is that it does tend to pay well, and and the the quality of a lot of these other ecosystems when they started was that you had a lot of unemployed tech people who looking for jobs who couldn't find them so they had nothing better to do than do startups whereas we have a very well-paid workforce in the tech sphere here so you've they're taking a bigger risk to join a startup right so fintech has those salaries so you know i i see some potential in fintech but you've got to you've got to See, you know, you've got to really zoom in. You can't, you can't just broadly say, "Oh, startups, tech, throw all money at that." I just don't, I don't think that's the way to go to create an ecosystem. I do want to talk about government for a second because you just mentioned policy. Depending on who I talk to, and you know, as I mentioned, we've we've done about a hundred interviews so far. You know, some some people are really, really, really for government supporting the ecosystem in a, in a variety of ways, and some people are against it. Um, where where do you sit on that spectrum? Um, okay, um, it's, it's a little bit nuanced, but you know, with respect, I don't care what these guys say because I don't think they. I honestly don't think 
a lot of people have actually studied this and studied the historical record on this. And so people just sort of talk about this sort of home-baked knowledge. I, with respect, I went and studied, you know, economic history and I was doing a PhD for a while. So let me speak with some authority about this, if I, if I may toot my own horn. Government never creates ecosystems. Government jumps on the back of, of the flywheel as it starts to start to really turn. That happened in Silicon Valley. That happened in Israel. It's the way that things are done. So, so it's, you know, Australia, I think, tried to do that too early. You know, we didn't have the flywheel turning yet. It started to have the ESBCLP structure in place because that was a sort of standard. So I honestly think, though, that Australia should be more focused on its innovation in its natural resources. A lot of people say, oh, there's only a finite amount of stuff in the ground. That's not actually true. We've only just scratched the surface. Why can't we innovate about digging deeper mines? I mean, I mean, we are we are leaders in this in, in technology in this area. It is the source of our wealth. There's nothing wrong with being a natural resources-based economy. Most of the the leading countries in the world, the wealthiest countries in the world, are to a large extent natural resource driven, including the US, I would say. So why don't we focus on where we're strong and where people are going to gather and stay and, and let's innovate in those areas and let's have government support for those areas, for the really advanced technical people in those areas and try to create centres where we do attract the best people in those areas. And I think we would because we have such strong, strong, strong skills in those areas. Healthcare is another one that we're strong on. So um, I would say that... Um, Here's the, here's the one nuance to that that I want to add that I don't that I don't hear from anyone, right? And that's this: the truth about productivity and technology. We know entrepreneurship's a source of productivity gain, and technology plays a big part of it. But the truth of it is, the adoption of technology is more important for most Western countries than the creation of it. So, if you've got a very vibrant, fertile business ecosystem that's willing to try the latest things uh, and has the, pe the people with the skills to help them upgrade their technology, that's where most of the productivity gain comes from. That's, there's very good studies about this, and including in the US. In, in the US, it's about three quarters, one quarter. One quarter from their own technology creation and three quarters from the adoption of it in places around the world. So one thing Australia is very good at is adoption. We're, we're, you know, we're very wide-eyed about the, about the world. And, and so we, we tend to adopt very quickly. And the stats are there that shows that we were very strong adopters of ICT. So what you can do, and I think this is where, you know, places like Tech Central might have its best, best value creation, is, is in keeping the local environment psyched about tech, right? Creating employees that go into the big companies who are going to adopt very quickly. You know, that's, that, is the, that is the truth that, that um, we're very bad at creation. Of, of new technology. I mean, historically, um, compared to, to, to some of the leading ecosystems, but we are very, very strong adopter. And adoption is just is is even more important than creation. So so I think government should should bear in mind when it creates something like a tech central, that it's not just about creating unicorns and and having a vibrant sort of flywheel that makes a lot of rich guys even richer. It's about creating an environment that infects the business culture, uh, so that we are always on top of the new technology. We're always looking for the, the next advantage. That's what I see the role as government.
If we can just jump back on the timeline for a second, you know, you moved back to Australia around 2000, early 2000s. A lot of people point to around 2012 when I suppose, you know, Fishburner started, a lot of other co-working spaces started to, when the ecosystem started to ramp up a bit. Is there anything that happened in that prior decade after you moved back to Australia that, that kind of you saw, you know, the things getting put in place, you know, things starting to, some foundational work starting to happen? There were financial institutions that were, that had sort of speculative components to their funds. Um, and that was becoming increasingly you know, prevalent. But, but uh, to be honest with you, by this stage, I had sort of given up on, on geography and I, I, and this is another factor we need to consider that I, what I saw is that a lot of business was will be being built completely online with no connection to the geography. And so, and that's increasingly going to be the case. You've got very mobile venture capitalists now investing all across the world. What's the connection to geography? So, so I was, I actually started internet businesses and got involved in this, you know, almost underground world that the venture capitalists and no one else really talks about and very, very rarely overlaps with that world of people becoming, you know, very substantially rich, not billionaires, but substantially rich by, by just, working from their bedrooms and working and, and attacking markets, right? So I, what I saw, what, I, in, what was going on in my mind is that, look, why focus on this, you know, this ecosystem that's, that's got all these obstacles to achieve where it needs to be to become a Silicon Valley when there's this whole other virtual world out there? Like, like it's even very, very prevalent to me. A lot of the people in Fishburners who were successful, you've never heard of and you will never hear of but I hear of them because they were my friends. And they've gone on to do amazing things with gaming and e-commerce and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's all these guys that have really really smashed it, but they don't want to be known. They don't get on your radar. The venture, they don't want to talk to venture capitalists, yet they're running mini empires you know, in different places around the world. You see, what you've got is a local group of vested interests that need geography, really, to thrive. And um, and so they, that's where they look. And so you've got you know universities, government, you've got you've got factory, you know startup factories, you've got venture capitalists. They're all about largely about geography. It's becoming a little bit less so, but largely about geography. So that that's what they push. They don't want to know about the your opportunity to be a successful entrepreneur by selling some sort of new. You know, there's a guy called Davy Fogarty. He's he's actually raised investment, poor poor guy. Um, but he was he was this young kid from his sort of bedroom, created this e-commerce empire in South Australia. And then when they do poke their heads up and become successful, then the ecosystem claims them, of course. But they were homegrown, they were self-grown, right? So so I suspect that that's going to be a large factor as well that's going to drive us away from this idea of geography. What do you think is the defining factor in those types of entrepreneurs that, that do start those e-commerce businesses from scratch, you know, in their bedroom or their, in their lounge room, whatever? What's, what makes them special? That's what I want to try to figure out. Well, one of the things is that they haven't, haven't been bitten by the startup culture. That is important, man, because a lot of these people are not in Silicon Valley. The people I've met in America, and there's tons of America, they, they're like, why would you join a startup? They don't have that pull from all the press and the, you know, the hype about, about the startup scene. So they, they've generally often quite, you know, nerdy, maybe they're tech people, and they've floated around the internet and they've seen money happen in circles around there. 
and they decided, well, this there's money out here and no one knows about it in my geography. Why don't I see if I can capitalize? A lot of them are disillusioned like I was about the local workplace environment. You know, to be fair, I'm I'm not your usual guy and I'm I'm a tech guy and I was very ambitious and I was a bit full of myself and all that. But you probably got a lot of those guys. There's a whole culture of guys that don't want to be startups. They don't want to network. They don't want to go to events. But they're really good at um, sussing out what's selling, what's working on the internet, what the latest thing is. And they really don't want to. They don't want to go into a job. Some of them still work, but but uh, the ones I've seen, you know, there's a different class of people as well now that are non-tech that are that are starting from because the tech has now become so accessible to everybody. You see people set, setting up, you know, Shopify sites, and I honestly think, man, that that a lot of them have not have had the fort- good fortune of not being infected by the startup scene, which would totally distort what they think a success is. Yeah, man, because once you once they a vulnerable person looking to have an alternative path is told that the only path is this high growth, raise capital, it, it completely changes the perception in their, their mind about what business looks like. Here's the other thing about Australian entrepreneurs, which because it's so tough and it's it's a, such a capital, you know, scarce environment. You've got to be a, an actual entrepreneur to to be successful. In other words, you've got to be resourceful. You've got to you've got to hustle. You've got to really seek out, sniff out where the opportunities are. And Australians, because of the capital scarcity, I think you see a greater prevalence of that here. And so that's a great environment to get on the internet with, and and start sniffing around low cost, trying to make money and trying to bootstrap. You know, don't get co-founders and contracts and everything. Just just try to make something work. It's very different, man. It's a very different mindset. Coming from the perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong about what I just heard you say around geography and it being less and less important, what was the thinking around starting Fishburners? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, that's a good question. I had no friends, basically. So I'd, I'd come back from Silicon Valley for 10 years. I mean, I came back to Australia and I thought, this, well, if I'm back in Australia, there's no point poking my head up. I'll just go underground and do this internet stuff. And I was out as far as I could from civilization, i.e. Canberra, and in the lake of Wellington in New Zealand. Um, but I had no friends, you know, that was, and no one knew what I'd done. No one had knew. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't seek press. It was, uh, I, I, was just, I just went underground. No one had heard. No one had cared when I first came back. My accountant introduced me to this, like, you know, this guy who was doing this little hosting company, and that's about as much as great much choice as we had in Canberra back then. And I was trying to work with him a little bit. And um, he met this other guy who knew about the Sydney startup scene. And I, they, they said, oh, Pete, why don't you come to an event one day in Sydney? You know, you'll make some friends. And, um, you know, and I did. And I went there, and Nikki Savak was there, and Mike Casey was there, and a whole bunch of other guys were there. And they asked me what I did. and I don't think they believed me at first, but I told them, you know, I was the first investor in PayPal. And they were like, what is this guy who lives near Queanbeyan, dresses like he does with this terrible haircut? <laughs> he speaks like, you know, some kind of rural guy. He must be pulling a leg. I think that's what they thought at first. And they, but, you know, they're like, oh, PayPal investor. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, sure, mate. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm glad, glad they let you out today, you know, of your hospital or whatever. But, um, you know, eventually they cottoned on that I just – I'm not the kind of guy that seeks seeks sort of status. It's all – to me, it's very internal. I already realise on myself that you've got to find your own your own measures. I'm very extreme on that. So so I just wanted to make friends, to be honest, man. And and here's the thing about Fishburners. Look, we were playing a little bit of a double game there, man, because 
to ride the wave, you had to talk startups. To, to press government, you had to talk startups, you know, high growth, all that. So there was a lot of that around. But when anyone, anyone, you can ask the original fishermen, when anyone came to me, I was saying, hey, man, you don't need to do this. There's this other path. So a, a bunch of guys listened to me. You know, I was only there for a year or so. I mean, I floated around all the time, but, but I was only hardcore there in the first year. Um, and, and those guys have gone on to do really well and are so thankful that they never touch VC, uh, that, that now they have complete life freedom. I mean, ugh, as, as much as life gives you freedom, especially when you're a family, but, you know, they've done very well for themselves, uh, you know, and they they but they were getting bombarded by this oh, VC pitching, all this stuff, and, and I was saying, man, you don't need to do that. And coming from me, they, it didn't make real sense, but, you know, because I'm the PayPal guy. Yeah, it's not making sense to me right now. <laughs> well, see, mate, I'm I'm someone that I'm not like quite like Peter Thiel, who's quite, I think has a flavour of deliberate cont- contrarianism, but I do believe in kind of um, very strongly questioning the the dominant ethos. Mm, yes. And I'd already had ten years saying this is not a startup place. Well, you know, it's just not ready. You, you've got a better chance with your career by learning how to build a business. I've seen it. I, I saw it, man. When I was in Silicon Valley, even during those times and all the times after, I'll give you an example. Is that if I, if you can indulge me, you can edit it out if if I go on too long. Please, mate. One of the guys I met, so it was probably about 2003 online. I was messing around with search engines. I was making good money from that. And this one guy approached me from nowhere. He seen me on the search engine, you know, and and he was this young guy from Paraguay, right? He saw that I had this traffic and he set up this new site. He said, hey, man, do you want to be an affiliate of mine? I, I reckon I can make you a lot more money. And I, is this this guy from Paraguay? And I said, okay, yeah, let's try it, man. Like, you know, everyone's trying things. And 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 I did make a lot of money with that guy. And he, he did that over and over again with lots of other different people with lots of traffic. He now owns a television station, owns a mobile phone company. He's like this big shot. People have talked about him being president of Paraguay, but he's Paraguay's got its own political issues. He doesn't he's not sure he wants to have his children kidnapped. But 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 he's you know, this is what I mean, man. Once you open your mind to that area, I meet these guys that come out of nowhere and then become and he he never raised any capital. He's only been to the US once and that was after he became quite wealthy. He, he stays in Paraguay. He's got no, there's no ecosystem there. I think he was doing it for his family. You know, he had real, and, and he, he was a bit of a hustler. He's not a tech guy at all, which probably helped him because sometimes tech guys like me get stuck in their, in their love of technology. Whereas he was like, look, I respect tech guys. I'm just going to put it all together and take a piece of the action. You see what I mean? It's just, it's, um, yes. It, you, I was trying to focus on building those guys. And I'd already seen that when I started in Fish Furnace, but we had to play a little, we had to cover both things. But honestly, man, your best bet, now I'm not talking about what's best for the economy at this point. I think that's natural resources and, and, and focusing on innovating that. But for you as an individual, your best bet is not to take money, generally speaking, unless you're in part of an elite group of business people coming from elite school or, or network. Your best bet is to learn how to do it yourself. And I can promise you 20 years later that it's just as vibrant and possible now to become a financially independent person 
with zero money down almost, you know, a domain name, a few other things, from the comfort of your own bedroom. And it's, it's probably never been as possible as, as it is now. So why I don't get it. So, so I'm a realist. I guess that's what you'd call me, a realist. I'm not a, I'm not a futurist. I'm not an idealist. I'm a realist. And the reality is that that's your best bet in the, these days. I'm not someone in love with technology. I'm not someone who loves views of the future. I'm still at, at heart a realist who just happens to have a lot of these tech skills at, at the same times. That hopefully that explains a little bit why I'm the PayPal guy. I've seen Elon. I talked to Elon. I talked to Peter. I advised Peter. I saw how rich it could be. When I came back, I thought, oh my God, that's, um, I mean, that's fantastic, but it's a fantastic environment. Yeah, that's, you can reach the heights, but it's, it's not for everyone. And I thank my lucky stars that I had these advantages in this unique period of time. If I went there now, without my reputation or anything, I, I, I wouldn't go anywhere, man. So I'm very realistic about what made me successful and why nobody like me could, could pull that off. It's all about realism, I guess, in the end. And the realist inside me tells me that, you know, your better bet is to, is to grow online. Why wouldn't you do that? And then you can live all anywhere around the world. You don't have to work in a job again. And you also have the option of of, of growing to a startup if you if you if you're cotton onto something that turns out to be good. In terms of ecosystem, what are some of the biggest gaps today that if we have any chance of creating a really rewarding and flywheel you know, ecosystem, what do we need to do? Okay. Well, you asked me specifically about the flywheel. I mean, I, there are other types of ecosystems you can create here, which I think would be really advan- advantageous. But So first of all, don't forget that the world is not all about Silicon Valley, especially now, right? It's just not. It's a small part of commerce on the internet and in technology. The gaps, this is, it, it's, it comes down to human resource and human capital. It comes down to what differentiates us against the world. What do we have here that would be hard to duplicate or hard to lose in terms of people, right? No, no doubt we've got a really smart group of people here, right? I've seen really great entrepreneurs in, in my definition of entrepreneur, really great technical people, but why would they stay here? And the answer is, well, because we're the best at this in the world, or we've got the best ecosystem, or, you know, the best professors, the best speciality in this world. I think you start from that and grow outwards. You don't scattergun it. I don't want to discourage all these fantastic companies we've got around there. They're fan- it is fantastic what they've done, but what are they going to? What are they doing to start the flywheel? Um, and I don't think you do that by government. That's that's always been done by private initiative. And the private and private, these guys are not silly. They go, well, why would I start in Australia? And if they see something that that's advantageous in terms of growth for the long term within their vehicle, then they might start seriously backing, you know, perhaps Atlassian might decide that, well, we do have this ecosystem of really smart tech management people and tech people who are adjacent to what we're doing, and I want to really invest heavily in that. Now, we'll see what they do. Same as Canva. Do we have this design crowd that um, that's better than anywhere else or that's going to stay here in Australia? 
uh, you know, are they going to reinvest? I, I'm, I'm not putting pressure on them to do that. It, it's, I'm not, it's a system-wide question. But look for those signs. And I, I would suggest to you that the best chance we have of that starting to happen is by a focus on where we're strong and, and, and not this shameful kind of embarrassment of, of the fact that we're a natural resources-based economy. There's, we have become a, a strong natural resources-based economy because of innovation, because of innovation. Why, you know, why don't we encourage more mining engineers and, and uh, you know, agricultural tech engineers and energy? Why don't we become a centre of that and attract them and use that as the sort of beacon of how we grow outwards. You know, look, look, Israel did that and they've grown outwards, right? They go in all sorts of different things, not just cybersecurity, but they focus on a strength where the capital and the people were going to stick around to help grow their geography, right? So that's my answer for the, for the geography question, yeah. Yeah. Before I ask, so there's two questions that I end every interview, interview with, but before I ask those, is there anything for the documentary that we're trying to create that you think that we should include that maybe we missed? Like, I, I want to say that I don't think we're that far advanced, to be honest. So that's what I want to say. Yes, we got some good companies. But see, that to me comes from the accessibility of global markets and global, you know, technology and ideas rather than that we've, you know, that's just a one-off kind of enablement from this globalized world that we've got. Um, it's not because we've we've really started to take off. But, uh, uh, yeah, did you talk to Matt Barry? Yes, that was an amazing interview. Okay. See, I, I, look, like, look, Matt talks a lot of stuff. I read in the press that I think, yeah, he's, a, he's way out on a limb. Like, he is far too about the scene than I, than I am. He's far, in my view, he's, he goes way off um, and he's far too bull, bullish. But... I have fantastic respect for the guy to stick around in Australia when when it probably made more sense to go overseas and and really try to make it work in this country. Plus, I also have respect for the guy that he kickstarted his company by acquiring previous successes rather than you know sort of bootstrapping his way and selling a story. He he he'd look for realistic science. I have a lot of respect for what he did. Um, so I, I think his experience. In terms of what he's seen, is probably I don't I don't share his view of the future, and I, I think we should be natural resources focused. And he thinks we're a house of cards in our economy. I don't believe that, but I do have a lot of respect for the fact that he was a guy who was willing to stick it here. Why did he stick with it here? And does he think that there are people out there that would stick with it here uh, in the in the future? Does he feel that there? Because I've also read the, how terrible it is to try to find tech management. He, he's, he's written publicly about that, which I feel really sorry for. Why did he stay here when it was so difficult to attract these people? And has that changed? So, you know, I, I look towards what Matt says in terms of his experience because he's, he's stuck it out quite a, quite a lot. You know, in terms of the other stuff, I mean, you've got to give, give it to Blackbird to try. You know, are they creating the flywheel? You know, they're, they're introducing a lot of international investors and they're I mean, but they've done some really, they've really done some good stuff, but I don't share their view that, that we're, um, that, you know, that's all happening now, give us some money and, and make this up. I don't, I don't share that, um, but, but they, you've got to hand it to them. And who else would I say? Yeah, this is in terms of the flywheel. I mean, look, frankly, look, the government is trying to do the best, but 
they are too influenced by wealthy success stories. Um, they, they don't, you know, they don't go to grassroots. I, I think the federal economists understand, but I don't. I think they're they're too inspired by flashy things because it's sort of populist um, rather than get to the grassroots of it. So, I mean, I think government should step back a bit, to be honest. And um, I know the startup scene's putting their hand out and say, but I think that's wrong. That is wrong. Government should stay stay out and um, and focus on our strengths and let that side of things go. So I don't know if that answers your question. It's good. Thank you for sharing. No worries. This is the advice question. And, and, I, and I think you've already given your advice to founders, to, to entrepreneurs, sorry. But let me ask it anyway. If a new entrepreneur came to you tomorrow, what would you tell them to do? What would be your advice? I'd say, mate, have you gone to elite school? Is your, is your dad an elite in an elite network? Have you had an elite job? Are you either financially pretty well off or so dissatisfied with the, the, the system that you can't do anything else? Okay, maybe you should think of startups. Maybe you should go on this path. You know, why don't you go get an office in Surrey Hills and mix with those guys? Mix with what, you know, you'd have to call the elite elite circle. Don't mix with the grassroots circles. Not because they're not as good, but because they don't have the access to the capital and to and, and those boys in the in the in the elite networks are looking for elite people. So you've got Buckley's if you don't come from that. And 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 you know, that's that's the reality. Otherwise, I would say in all other cases, and that's the majority of cases, build it yourself. Why would you work for a venture capitalists? Why would you why would you go on that ridiculous journey of burning yourself out when you can be financially independent and more while having your own freedom, working around the world, completely owning your company, um, starting new ventures, meeting fantastic people? Why would you do that to yourself? It's it's you have your opportunity is far far greater than the, the the visible circles in the local environment tell you just just get amongst it man get amongst it and you'll see there's so much more choice than what the mainstream tells you i love that last question not really a question i don't know if you'll have an answer to it but you know as you know i'm trying to create a documentary about the australian startup community that's why i'm interviewing so many people because i do want to tell an accurate and truthful account and I'm so glad that I've got you speaking as well in this series, honestly, for that counterbalance. Thanks, man. That's my that's my role. <laughs> I, I want to, you know, I want investors, entrepreneurs, uh, policymakers, academics, people from all corners of the kind of community to, to listen to the story. Mm-hmm. Any one of those categories or all of them, like, what do we need to hear to sign off? What do we need to hear from Peter Davison? So, so the you're saying all the ecosystem people, blah, 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 right? Is that who you're yeah. targeting? Yeah. yeah, yes. Mate, the world is a massively big place now That's in, that in the year 2000 thereabouts was, was connected like we've never seen before. You don't know, I guarantee you don't know the opportunities that are out there. I guarantee you have not even scratched the surface of what is possible to make your life now. So what are you doing mixing with your local crowd, trying to make friends with people that you happen to be sort of born around when the world is such a bigger place? Like go out, to disconnect, go somewhere completely different um, and 
where these people exist. You know, there are places like Puerto Rico where they have, there's all these digital nomad so- scenes around the world. And there's virtual places if you can work in a virtual world. Most, most people can't because they're highly socialized. But try to practice being an introvert. Practice being an introvert instead of the, the, the socially minded person that, that we're told is what an entrepreneur is. Practice digging deeper and finding those gold nuggets of life opportunity that that um, that that are so blind, you know, are so invisible to the average, to to our average daily sort of journey. That's what I'd say, man. Opportunity, look for it. It's there. I, I can't. I really can't believe, man. I've been in this scene for years, for years, and it's still driven by a small group of people in a small connected circle, and they're that don't see beyond their own little little environment. I, I, there are some, but you're never going to hear about them because they don't want to be well-known. Try to seek those invisible people out. You will learn so much. That's what I'd say. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.